Hi, I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Rob. I'm Joe. Welcome to Athenaeum, a podcast about writing, literature, and the culture that feeds them. This week, we're actually talking uh, about from classic to modern, what is romance literature? Um, which I think after last time when we talked about Jane Eyre uh, is a good question. What is romance? I don't think most people who had started with modern romance would then read Jane Eyre and think that this is a romance. That's just my... I think that was exactly my reaction last week, right? I love modern romance. Romance is my go-to. It's my bread and butter. It's what I pick up on a lazy Sunday. And Jane Eyre is not what I would pick up on a lazy Sunday. <laughs> and would highly encourage you to not try and read it an entire day. It, it's just a very, it's a genre that's like kind of evolved a lot more over time than I think a lot of the other genres. Or at least over like recent time. Like since it was started, since the, what we consider romance today was started. I think that's what's really interesting about romance is what we view as like historical romance and like the classic romance, the Pride and Prejudice, the Jane Eyre, the, the things that are like very historical, they weren't necessarily considered romance in their time. And then romance got like a hot spotlight on it in the 1970s with these like super cheap drugstore paperbacks that were really targeted at the like mom demographic mm-hmm. where <laughs> you're you're buying your groceries and maybe you're having a grand old time with your little sexy book club who knows but it's i think it's really powerful that 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 was a demographic and sort of like how it's grown in the last 50 years oh yeah well, and I think, too, the other thing when you're talking about how it has changed is that at one point, um, and this is pre-1970s, this is more 1800s into the um, early to mid, I would say, 1900s, what made a romance and what was, like, the, like, stark thing about it was that it was written for women, um, mm-hmm. which was the shift you had from the classic definition which joe if you don't mind i'm just gonna read read what it is <laughs> so uh which is at classic romance and we're talking before jane Eyre, before jane austen before all of the janes <laughs> uh, it was a narrative genre that involved a mysterious adventurous or spiritual storyline where the focus is on a quest that involves bravery and strong values, but not necessarily a love interest. So it was more chivalry for chivalry, chivalry, chivalry's sake, I guess. Um, and then it shifted, I think, after Jane Eyre, Jane Austen, um, so you had Bronte sister, Bronte sisters, Jane Austen. I'm trying to think, what's the other like big classical romance author? I think there's another one. Um, uh. but when they hit this scene it then became 
about a female character and kind of also maybe written by women for women. And then we got to the 70s, which shaped what I think most people now think of romance, which is the steamy things that your mother reads. (laughs) But it's still that by women for women concept, right? Where I... The, the trashiness of it, the steaminess, the sort of like the sexiness of romance books these days are really still by women for women, understanding that like these housewives that were buying these dollar store novels at the drugstore were wanting more than like what they were getting, right? They, they weren't just, they were more than magazines and they still wanted to read. But being able to find a gateway into that and being able to have a target of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and to the point where, and I have seen some of these, um, that some male authors will write um, under a female um, pseudonym. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> that makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> For any authors out there, if you write under a female pseudonym for this by women for women concept, please stop. Uh, what are you doing? It's 2021. So people um, can be anything. Um, I and I don't think this is so much in mod like like um recent novels. I think, and I'm gonna open up a couple here. Because uh, some of these names might sound familiar. I've never actually read any of these. But, like, um, Jessica Sterling, um, Madeline Brent, uh, Carol Salisbury. Carola Salisbury, I think, is the other one. But these are, well, I guess this one was published in 2012. I guess I need to take that back. Uh, <laughs> but I, the other thing, too, is that when I, when you, when you try to find male authors who've written under female pseudonym um they're not very popular anyways like <laughs> whoa the like nicholas sparks begs to differ but he doesn't write under a pseudonym he writes under his own name oh you're talking about specifically under a pen name under a pen name mm. yeah under a pen name oh. nicholas sparks does not hide what he does nicholas sparks fully <laughs> owns owns his <laughs> trash yeah. <laughs> Trash. Whoa. I think the other thing, though, with, like, Nicholas Sparks is when I think of a Nicholas Sparks novel, I think of something that you don't mind sharing with, like, your grandma or your mom or, like, um, when you say, oh, I read Nicholas Sparks, it's not that you read that kind of romance. It's more... I don't know. Nicholas Sparks isn't considered to be like super literary, and I think that's more so of the oh, so you know, you just read a feel good to read a feel good, which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think he's also less smutty than a lot of the other sort of if you're thinking the classic like Harley Quinn novels, mm-hmm. and like I am, I think that like I'm ready to talk with my grandma about this topic. Like that is a really important sort of barrier to think about when you're thinking about romance like there's like <laughs> romance books like i'm willing to recommend to my teenage sister-in-law mm-hmm. and there's the romance books and i go please don't put this on your shelf your mother will kill me yes 
<laughs> yeah, there's the ones that like, oh, I did read that book. I'm not like, I'm not putting that review with my actual name whatsoever. Um, I don't want, I don't want any family members to find out that I read this. Um, and then you have, and I think, I think that that's a like really good talking point too. Of you're not just talking about the erotic um romance novels when you say that also like steamy things anything like it seems like most anything that would have a shirtless man on the cover um (laughs) unless you're talking to someone who also reads that even if the book is actually good if it just has a shirtless man on the cover or certain types of covers you are then embarrassed like to some extent of oh no you're gonna judge this book and (laughs) Like, it used to be like my sort of threshold like is this a book that I would be willing to like read publicly on a plane mm-hmm. right or is this something that we're only going to read in the hotel room because I don't want my coworkers to see me in the airport with this mm-hmm. exactly oh, well. I actually bought 50 shades of gray in the airport and you know what I got up to about the third chapter you know what 50 shades of gray I don't like it i don't recommend it however that cover is like very unassuming very it's a cover that your grandma would pick up going oh it's about children's people yeah and wearing different suits right like (laughs) that is deceiving and like that is a false advertisement um i on one hand i appreciate that romance covers have gone more in that direction of being more subtle um on the (laughs) other hand if you are someone who's just perusing the books and you don't read the backs of covers and you don't pay attention that it says romance on the side and you're like, ooh, this looks cool. Like, you you, you will be startled. You will be surprised. Um, there is something to be said about, you know, those steamy romances of you know exactly what you're going to get. You That is what you want to read and that is what you're getting. There... <laughs> Like, there's a lot of romances out there, though, and I think you put that as a question, Sam. Like, could platonic romance, platonic love, be considered a romance novel? And I think about my personal favorite series. I think in the last year is the Bromance Book Club, mm-hmm. and yes, each book focuses on sort of a romance between a man and a woman, but the like love that the men have is part of this. Like, the whole concept is these guys all read these trashy romance novels and learn things from them so they can better support women in their lives. But, like, their friendship bonds them together, and I think that in itself is love between platonic friends. Mm -hmm. Well, I wonder if the romance genre is not so much about... This is just how it has always struck me as a person who doesn't read a lot of romance. It strikes me as it's not so much about like love as much as it is overcoming difficulty for the sake of a romantic ideal. Because there's a lot of Mm. romances where there's the majority of the book is not about love. Like uh, we'll take, for example, um, (laughs) you said it, you said it, not me. Uh, (laughs) But it's considered a romance, I guess, because they had to overcome all of these circumstances and one the pride and the prejudice and all those themes that kind of revolve around one another. Uh, 
So I, I think, yeah, you could have a romance that has like platonic love in it. And I think it would probably be better for that. But I think you have platonic love in most, most uh, well-adjusted people's lives. And it's not necessarily a romantic thing. But I'm open to debate because I don't really know. There, there is a, the framing of it. Oh, go ahead, Sam. Oh no, just that talking about platonic love. There is this book, and I need to find it again. Um, it's something, something's very, very bad day, uh, and I cannot remember. Bobby Faye's very, 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 very bad day, which is a fantastic book, and I highly recommend to anyone. And it, it appears like something that you know everyone couldn't read. You totally can read it, but it is a romance. Um, but the whole journey of it is that it's a romance because there is a guy involved that she ends up falling in love with, which you know as soon as you meet the guy, but they don't even, like, kiss or do anything until the end after she has destroyed his pickup. They have had helicopters chase them, and there have been bombs. (laughs) (laughs) But it's still a romance, and at the end... Yeah, they're together, but they feel far more like like friends than they do anything else. And the other thing that that book does is that the bigger, stronger relationships are between that woman and her sister and that woman and her co-workers and that woman and her best friend who, without question, back her up at every turn. Which, when you're talking about platonic friendships, that's I think that's the other thing that kind of gets overlooked in romances and in most romance contemporary romances especially and joe i think the books you've read kind of go with this is that you always have like a really strong like best friend character or supporting Mm -hmm. characters that really help to push that story along because otherwise yeah unless you're overcoming something um they can be kind of boring (laughs) well i think the example that you did as well so there's a lot of subgenres within romance And some of that is like romantic suspense. So it's these intrigue and mysteries, but that's much more plot driven as opposed to character driven. If you're thinking about maybe more of the contemporary um, romances where you're really just focusing on like, this is a boy, this is a girl, they have some traits, now they're going to kiss. (laughs) <laughs> we read 300 pages together, right? And yes, and some of them stand the test of time well, some of them don't. But when you're thinking about the romantic suspense, like she's either an FBI agent or he's a bodyguard. And like, if you think about like the movie Spy Kids, like the whole premise of the parents, like the two spies that fell in love, I think that that is the peak of romantic suspense. Like, these are opposite spies trying to kill each other, but they keep making eye contact, and this is the end. Mm -hmm. They don't kill each other. They have two beautiful children. They create the Spy Kids program. It's a great movie. But the idea of, like, plot-driven is very different than a lot of the character-driven stuff that you might see in some of the trashier or just more contemporary romance that might be focus on characters yeah I think so i wonder oh go ahead nope you go rob um you go okay 
So I wonder if we need to like we we need like a button, like a buzzer or something. Like raise your hand. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if the classic romances and even books nowadays that that might be sort of reminiscent of those same sorts of plots. Uh, I can imagine that they were almost designed less to like show young women what a relationship and what love looks like or even to embody like a, this would be a great relationship as it is just to say, here's the kind of man that you should want <laughs> because I don't imagine right. that a lot of young women, especially the ones who could read would be around very many men. Like there would be, you know, maybe, maybe they were more kept inside in those days and they just didn't have a whole lot of interaction with a ton of different guys to really say like, Oh, this is the kind of guy that I like on their oh, own until they read those books. That's what we got from Jane Eyre, right? Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to settle for the sake of settling. I'm going to make an inconvenient choice with the weird old guy for love. And <laughs> I think that's that's a really important like concept. The women that were reading these, especially the older books, it was really focused on we're doing this inconveniently for love. And this is a type of person you should potentially value yourself and like hold out for because there might be someone on the other side. I think that's even done today, right? Like the Disney Prince aesthetic of the hot dude that you meet sporadically at a baseball game and everything goes perfectly well, except for the two weeks that everything went terribly. And that's how we had a book plot. Or the reverse, the I hate you on sight and you end up falling in love with them. Mm, the Harry Met Sally approach. Yes. Yeah. It, which I do enjoy. Like, there are books, um, Well Met by Jen DeLuga, which mm -hmm. for anyone who has ever gone to a Renfest, go read Well Met. It is fantastic. But that one is the literal embodiment of they met. He was a jerk to her. She was kind of a jerk to him, too. They both had difficult things in their lives. Turns out they weren't actually jerks. Oh, my God. I love you. I love you, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> which isn't... See, a I can get... I don't think it's a bad story to read. Like, I don't, I, I don't mind those plots when they're handled well. Like, Yeah, I can get behind that kind of plot if it has, like... If there's a real reason for them to be sticking together. Not something contrived like, you know, the <laughs> speed. Uh, you know, we got to stay on this call and otherwise this bus is going to explode, but I'm constantly in danger and you're consistently forced to think about me. You know, that that sort of like manufactured kind of situation, It it to me, it cheapens that whole idea. I would rather they just liked each other from the start. If they're going to be in a situation like that. I think when we're talking about like how, how romance has changed, I think that's an interesting thing to point out because I think that contrived and very, very much manufactured feelings, when you look at the romances of the 70s and 80s, and like even nowadays, you know, the, those dollar store um, romances, that is what they kind of live off of is it's very contrived it's very forced um and i think that there is clearly there is a a group 
or they're people who that's what they want like they want something that is horribly unrealistic they don't really care how <laughs> how <laughs> what the characters are actually like they only care about what they're doing that may be physically that may be <laughs> you know um like disney like prince and princess meet up for grown-ups right like I'm not going to watch Sleeping Beauty, but maybe I'm going to read this like dollar store novel because it's I'm still getting the escapism mm-hmm. idea of it without sort of the childness of it. I, I think what um, like modern romance has done is that they have brought to the forefront what you're talking about, Rob. Because like when you think about um, Me Before You... Or you think of um, trying to think of another uh, any any of the ones too that are focused on the actual like relationship between the two and the mm-hmm. difficulties are much more you know either someone passed away in the past and they're having to deal with that grief and how to you know learn to live with it and move on or that's when I see a lot is a lot of times it's grief it seems like in those books um, or like with me before you the difficulty is that he's paralyzed from the neck down and he is grumpy and hates life and i mean you also can't... a jerk yeah and he's a jerk he is a jerk but then you get to know more about him and it's like it, it's that you understand why he's that way and it doesn't excuse him for being a jerk but it you know you get to see the two especially the leading lady you know, bring him the best of life and the fact that, hey, even in the worst situations, you can find something good. And I think that's, um, I think that is a new romance thing to, to make it more realistic. Um, and it's very much a contemporary <laughs> thing. And I think it hasn't really gotten popular until this century, which sounds weird to say, but yeah, <laughs> but I think it's accurate to say that this century, Me Before You, I think, was a really big turning point. Um, And Nicholas Sparks, I think, too, before Me Before You. Um, Nicholas Sparks kind of lives on those, because if you think of a lot of the Nicholas Sparks uh, books, some of them have a big thing going on, like with The Notebook. But then you look at, oh, what's that cowboy one? Or or Dear John. Dear John. Yeah, Dear John. Those are much more personal things that are going on in their lives that is completely character-driven um, that I don't think would have been nearly as popular in the 80s, for example, or the 60s. Well, I don't know what yeah. kind of romance was popular in the 60s. Google. <laughs> well, it is interesting to think about how as as society itself develops and in general people become more connected and more understanding of one another we see that reflected in our romance because like you're saying sam uh that's sort of like i mean and i'm uh disabled in some way it's like once upon a time you would never think to have that be like the the leading character in a romance unless it was supposed to be tragic in some way uh because those aren't the sort of like people that you know little girls dream of that little girls would want to get married to when they're like seven and they're just 
learning about the concept of romance. But as society has gone on, we've become more empathetic. We've become able to see like, oh yeah, you're hurting. And in a weird way, some people like that. They're like, oh yeah, I, I want to be that person who can go into a hurting person's life and bring healing to them and have love spawn from that. Or be the person or alongside it. Too. I think that's the, the other half that um, a lot of times it seems like it's the males that are healed. But I think the other half is true too. Like if you're in a lot of pain to have that hope that someone like that will come into your life and mm-hmm. make life worth living again. Um, that's its own like, form of escapism. In the yeah. sequel of Me Before You, it's almost like what I would call grief romance. Like she's part of a grief support group. Like, And the, that leading lady is sort of working through what does life after sort of having the ground ripped out from under you by somebody you love look like. And almost the, like, what I, what I call, like, medical romances. So, like, the everything, <laughs> everything, and the me before you, and some of the Nicholas Sparks, like, sad girl with cancer romances. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, John there's Green. so oh, much. The John Green. Oh, God, John Green is ripping out your heart when you're 15 years old, and you think that you can read this book and nothing's going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> and expanding out even now into like mental health and um more disabilities so like the get a life chloe brown and the other ones as part of that series like there's so much expansion there and i think there's like a careful line of when you have these sort of authors that are what i'm going to call is like fully abled white cis straight men writing is like the medical lit i think there's some sort of nuance there on why are they writing that and who are the people reading that is it because folks like want to be genuine and healing or is it like objectification maybe that's too deep for this podcast but i think that's like an important pandora's box to open in reading this like medical romance genre is that healthy way to understand multiple points of view or is this objectifying disabled people for pleasure yeah Yeah. i would say it's probably a little bit of both but i also think that it is in general a good sort of development that has happened because a lot of times that stuff is not going to be how to say it it just works out this way a lot of times that a lot of the people who are the other in some way, whatever it might be for them specifically, they just don't have the interest, the chops, or the, the um, what would you call the ability to publicize like a work that is like that, that, that shows sort of their struggle from the other side. Whereas if somebody else kind of gets the ball rolling, that can open up the way for more people later on to write about their own experiences and potentially do it in an even more authentic and uh, 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 better (laughs) way. If you have like two people with cancer falling in love with this in in this story, but it's written by someone who doesn't have cancer, doesn't know anybody that has cancer. He just 
heard about it and it was like, man, this kind of magical, tragic disease would be a good backdrop for a love story. And then later on, somebody who has cancer and survives or, or has experienced it in some way can be like, this book was terrible. I'm going to do a better job. You know, that's kind of just how a lot of uh, I can see that be good game innovation game works. To, yeah. So not to say that it's right for people to do that, but yeah. it works out. That is interesting that you bring that up because as you were talking about that, particularly the idea that um, someone who has whatever you know, whatever that you consider that other to be, can't really communicate it. Um, there, there is this book that is wonderful uh, called The Rosie Project by I'm gonna mess his first yes. name. Yes. Graham Simpson. Um, mm -hmm. And the ironic thing is, is so this main character, uh, I think a lot of people when they read about him end up identifying with him if they are at all on the autistic spectrum. But the the interesting thing is, is and his name is Don Tillman, the author was not trying to do that. He wasn't trying to write a character like that at all. He was just trying to write a character that he had seen in people around him and that he thought, you know, was interesting and had an interesting story to tell. He didn't go out aiming to make this character, but he accidentally made one of the best representations in, in such a positive way, too, of someone on the spectrum. And um, I think <clears throat> that's kind of the other really cool thing as this... Because the, the Rosie Project is definitely a romance. It's literally about a man trying to find a woman to marry. Like it, um, I mean, he does it in a very clinical way, but he learns how to actually love someone along the way. And um, it, I don't think the Rosie Project... Again, it's one of those novels that in the 60s, in the 50s... This book would not have gone over well. This guy is socially awkward. We clearly cannot have a book about someone who has bad social skills, y'all. <laughs> we just can't do it. It's not going to sell. <laughs> but the Rosie Project is so good. And and I think it, it's just so well done and talks about an issue that the author didn't even mean to do, but does so well and I think ends up giving as weird as it is, hope to people who think that they are too socially awkward to find someone. And it's like, wait, Don found someone and it <laughs> was by accident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would double down on that and say the kiss quotient and the bride test by Helen Hoang, like do a very similar <laughs> job in being able to bring light to folks with ASD who, and this is, at least from the kiss quotient, the female side of it, like, women on the spectrum don't necessarily have that same awareness as men. I, lo I love Don Tillman. He is hilarious. That first book is just, like, a beautiful treasure that I keep on my shelf for rainy days. But I think the kiss quotient also does a really good job of showing the female perspective as well. So mm -hmm. I really like that. And I believe that author is on the spectrum. And so having folks who write who might not be part of that diagnosis or maybe you're just surrounded by people like that, being able to open the door for folks who mm -hmm. do have these diagnoses or 
are disabled in different ways to be able to tell their story in a really productive way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you do have to. I think as long as you, as long as you are one, a good artist and, and can portray things well. And also you don't have that sort of, this is clearly a gimmick to add some spice to this, the romance. I think generally speaking, it will be helpful to those sorts of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think I the other part of that is multicultural romance and queer romance. Like that's been, I think more front facing in the last five, 10 years. Yeah. Where maybe. It oh, yeah. Previously. Well, and I think the, the, the one thing that I get really annoyed with, with queer romance, I don't see this as much in the multicultural, but um, it seems like some of those they're trying, and you see this in every genre, they're trying to hit home on, oh, this is popular right now. And so I guess the one kind of downside that comes with that is that you have people who are writing these stories and they're, they're not interesting. They're not believable. And just, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're trying to ride the high of others, which you see in every genre. You see in, look at all the vampire novels. I mean, <laughs> any, <laughs> any trends. Um, but, like, I think what ends up happening that I, is that uh, the ones that are really, really good, that are so well written and so interesting. Uh, my favorite, and this is a YA one, is I gotta double check. Uh, Aristotle. Oh, let me double check. Aristotle, Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe. It is a YA, but it is so good, so good. And other books get talked up over things like that. Um, and it's the oh look. There's all these books on this topic. And this is, like I said, this is true for so many things. And you end up missing the ones that are really good that lead to other, inspiring other authors to write equally amazing books about that. Like, that is the one downside of modern romance is that because it is so popular, because there's so many people reading it, that you end up with books that become very popular. <coughs> Fifty Shades. <coughs> oh. <That laughs> are you okay? <laughs> good. I don't know what you were. I don't know what you were subtweeting there. I missed your cough. Uh, uh, Fifty Shades. Fifty Shades. Oh, uh, okay. See, I thought you were trying to hit on Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is a queer romance for adults. Do not give that to your teenage sister. <laughs> It is so drastically unbelievable that there is a gay son of the president of the United States and a gay prince of England. <laughs> and I think sort of the unbelievableness of it. That are age-wise appropriate. Don't forget that bit. Right. <laughs> that are, like, in their early 20s or, like, late teens. And, like, they they have enough freedom to do this. And it's also, like... They're fun and quirky, and it's just super not believable. But again, if the writing is good enough and the the characters are good enough, then it can stand up to, I think, the test of time. Yes. But it's also super unbelievable. 
Um, and it's <laughs> highly recommend if you want to not read something on a plane. That is not a book you should bring on a plane. <laughs> uh, and they, like there are some that are just so good, and then there are others that just yeah. I one of my big ones is usually that, especially when reading a queer one is they need to have really really believable characters otherwise they'd better be about some superheroes like really kicking butt and just lots of action because it seems like (laughs) i don't know it it is one that um it seems like if you have these characters you are now a sellable book instead of this is a really good book. Also, by the way, look at this great bonus of like, it's this awesome story. Um, and that, I mean, it's the same with paranormal romance too. When paranormal romance was really big, I don't think it's quite as big now as it used to be, but when mm-hmm. you hit those right of, Oh look, werewolf characters. Oh look, a vampire characters. Oh look, it's a hot demon character. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, my favorite um, queer couple in any book I've read, it, and I want them to have their own series, darn it all, is um, these two werewolves in this um, series, Mercy Thompson series by Patricia Briggs. And they are fantastic. One is a lawyer who who is a divorce lawyer, and in his house, he has rooms for the children. Like, when you have kids in a divorce that are... You know, the kids need to be in a safe place. He brings who, whichever parent it is that like they're safe with into his home, takes care of the kids, and that his uh, husband is a queer uh, cowboy werewolf from the 1800s, and he is fantastic. And I just love them. And they need to have their own series. Like, but. I'm imagining putting together the like character, and it's just like a word board, and they just started throwing darts, and they're like, Lawyer, gay, <laughs> werewolf, 1800s. Yeah, we got a plot, guys. Come on, we got it. We'll work around it. Everything else, just keep going. But it works because they come off as such real characters and they give them reasons for being the way they are. Like, not being queer, but the personalities they actually have and the fact that that is not their defining thing. The defining thing is is that the cowboy is the most generous person you will ever meet who will die for his friends and protect you no matter like who you are. He will fight for you. And the other one is just as vicious, but in the courtroom. <laughs> it's- I just feel like, Sam, you're one of the like 10 people that I personally know that would say, this is a very believable werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of romance stories that that I've read, and a lot of the ones that come to my mind are not necessarily classified as romance, but ultimately they're about two people who like each other. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know what's funny? Is a lot of them are middle grade. Yeah. Uh, There were books that I read when I was much, much, much younger in elementary and, uh, to a point all the way up to high school. And it was interesting about that is that you don't, I think what happens a lot of times as we get older is that we start looking for more 
extreme or wild sorts of scenarios for people to encounter each other in. Mm -hmm. As opposed to when you're writing for YA, when you're writing for middle grade, school itself is the biggest thing that you got going on. And (laughs) (laughs) that is where all of your strife, all of your drama happens. You don't necessarily need to worry about magical this and demonic that. You just got, you got enough trouble just making it through the hallway, you know? (laughs) And uh, I think what's really interesting about that is that kind of sort of, universal setup not not saying that it's not done poorly most of the time but when it does work what it allows you to do i think is it allows you to really focus on just the character quirks uh as opposed to the situation itself is being quirky and we're trying to respond to it in a realistic way when you've got a normal situation, you can go a little bit further out there with the characters. Uh, and I think of like flipped one of my favorite books of all time. Um, up until recently, the only book that I have ever read twice. Uh, and if you guys don't know what that's about, it's just little kid is relatively normal and he encounters an unusual girl who, who, you know, from out of town, she's really quirky. Uh, starts race chickens at some point <laughs> and it's just kind of him dealing with her and that's the kind of stuff that you see in those mid-grade mm-hmm. uh, as well as some YA where you have like a normal person mostly normal sometimes they're popular sometimes they're not but then they meet somebody who's just like oh. yeah, an alien you know uh, sometimes the manic pixie dream girl sometimes they're just somebody who's who's you know, really unaccustomed to the situation that they're now in. The Florida and I really like that. Oklahoma, right? Like, <laughs> hey, don't forget the Transylvanian Exchange student, okay? Oh my goodness! Oh, Sam came with the vampires again. <laughs> but I, I think that's a really important part, Rob. Right? Like, I feel the last ten years have been so focused on the meat cute element. Like, how can we? have the best meat. I think about the proposal. The entire premise of that book is that she's proposed to by a guy who she's known for like a few months Mm -hmm. and this family comes and saves her and happens to have a super ripped guy to say like, we're going (laughs) to pretend to be your friends. And the entire rest of the book is just like kind of building around like, oh, we met in a weird situation. Ha ha. Like, I I enjoyed the book, but I I think meet cute has been something that has been we have to like loop back to it constantly be like yeah. we have to make sense of how we had this quirky different romance book than everybody else yeah. because we met <laughs> on a subway but it was a full moon yeah right like, <laughs> I, think, I think one of my favorites and you see this in a lot of genres but you see this a lot in um like uh post-war um, novels, so whether that be World War One, World War Two, I, I don't honestly read many like Nam or or anything like that. Uh, mostly, it's World War One and World War Two, um, where they had a shared childhood. You know, whether that be that they were best friends or just knew each other, or you know, they were arch enemies. Oh, that's the boy who used to beat me up all the time, or that's the girl who used to throw sand in my face, or whatever. Girls can be mean too. Remember that. <laughs> but 
And then there is a, maybe not even a shared experience, but um, some kind of a very major event, whether that's that Mm -hmm. one of them went to war, both of them went to war, and they come back and you actually have a character that, yeah, maybe they didn't grow within the book, but they've grown since the other love interests saw them and that you have this drastic change, but they still have this shared background. And that's one that I like a lot. Um, I think the one that I, I recommend to everyone, absolutely everyone, and children, teenagers, you can read this. This is acceptable teenage reading, um, is Making Faces by Amy Harmon, which is a modern take on this. It's set um, modern being, you know, in the 21st century, um, but it's set not too long after 9-11 when you had high school boys and um i don't know if any of us really remember this but our you know older family members or older friends i'm sure do where high school boys and girls saw this happen when they were in high school a senior junior what have you and it inspired them to join the military well then they went into afghan and iraq and a lot of people came back or didn't come back um, very disfigured and it follows the idea of you have this girl who had these huge dreams who stayed back to help with her disabled cousin um, and this young man who was the star of the town who's come back disfigured and avoids everyone because he considers himself a failure for not bringing his friends home and uh, that that is a story that I really like because you have that background and you have so many facets of both of those characters that you don't need anything else going on. They both have a lot going on in their lives and in their character development in and of themselves that they just propel each other on. And that's, I really like that. I don't think, um, Oh, I'm, I'm in the even in the 1800s, you would have maybe had a um, characters coming back from that or having similar things, but it wouldn't have been talked about so directly in a novel. It would have been very indirect. Um, and it's just oh, it's so good. I love that book, Making Faces. Go read it. It you will cry, you will cry so much, but it's so good. <laughs> You know what, Sam? You just gave me a really good formula for how to craft a good contemporary romance. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> simple, simple as this. Think of someone who you found attractive, mm-hmm. but you didn't like. Okay. Mm. And now I'll devise a situation in which you could have gotten closer to that person. Okay. And let the story flow from there. <laughs> Only I would have made the middle school soccer team to hang out with the cute boy named Ben. Shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the, maybe the story could millions. be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My dad, you know, got really frustrated and he trussed me up as a boy one day and told me to get out there on the field because he knew I could kick their butts <laughs> in any soccer game. And now you got a nice little mid-grade romance. Yeah. Also, isn't that the, just the plot of She's the Man? Yes. Yes, it is. Which is based on uh, which is based on uh, ah, 
Shakespeare anyways. Everything goes back to Shakespeare. Let's be real. <laughs> I feel like there's a couple more, like, genres of romance. I want to make sure we hit on before we wrap up today. But, like, inspirational romance is, like, the equivalent of trashy romance, but Christian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And the idea is, like, the genre is what they call like a triangle it's a love triangle but it is a man and the woman and also their relationship with god mm-hmm. and i find that really interesting because it's i feel like it almost like waters down face <laughs> because you have almost this is the kind of stuff that's on like my grandma's bedside table because it was also at the dollar store but didn't have a naked man on the front. It probably had like a very well fit man, yep. probably holding a Bible. Yep. And or- only <laughs> holding hands with the woman, not completely embraced with her. So the other so, the, but the other oh, go ahead, Sam. the other thing that goes with this genre too, that when you're talking about you can't forget is also the historical inspiration romance. Mm-hmm. So but keep going, sorry. It's just it kind of blows my mind that these like run in parallel is so drastically different in content, but really, again, mass produced. These are the types of books that are made as a paperback first, like <laughs> straight to VHS kind of book, right? We we are not in the movie theaters. They're not getting a ton of advertising. They understand that they're cheap to produce. They're easy to copy and paste the story, easy to change read. the 10 main themes, and then push it out the door. Right. Like, romance is one of those mass-produced genres out there. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't see people... Like, <laughs> Stephen King isn't removing six plot points and replacing it, right? No. Like, thrillers and mysteries and I fantasy. I don't know. Tom Clancy might be. Tom Clancy might mm-hmm. be. Okay. But uh, on... There's one name compared to probably the two dozen names that are the plug-and-play romance. I think the one thing you have to also talk about with inspirational romance is just like those straight-to-DVD VHSs, there are a couple golden ones. There are a couple gems Mm -hmm. in there. Um, And and that's why I mentioned the historical ones, because the historical ones, and when I say historical, they are almost always about settlers in the West, or the Norwegians came to the new land, and they nearly died, or most of the family did die, and only the wife was left, and she had to go find herself a new husband through God. And which they're actually, they are very, I, I might be mocking this a bit, because they are the rinse and repeat, but... Some of those end up being rinse and repeat because the original version of it really was good. Like, the the inspirational romances where they hit their sweet spot is when they find a family story and they follow it through the generations. Um, and you get to see that family change over time. Uh, there is one, I don't remember who the... I read... I've read like five versions of this, so I don't remember who it actually is. But there's this whole set of um, books that are the Christian inspirational romances that are all set in North Dakota, South Dakota, or Minnesota. And all follow (laughs) Norwegians coming over, you know, for the first time, meeting up with their families and claiming their land. And um, 
but they're surprisingly good. And they're ones where I think the the other place where insp- inspirational romance hits well is when it's about people who actually have Christian beliefs in literally everything they do. When it's not just, mm-hmm. you know, a phantom, a mime, but it is literally how they live their lives. And that is when it hits good. But a lot of the rinse and repeat is much more of the appealing to, you can read this because it's Christian, not... Right. It's it's the the easy sells. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, if people, like, don't read romance, cough, cough, rob, like, romance has a lot of really beautiful pieces to it. And again, I am kind of kicking at it right now, but I adore romance. Romance has just a really special place in my heart because it's what really got me back into reading as an adult because... I almost felt guilty. I feel I felt like I should pick up like the books of like I should pick up Jane Austen and other maybe heavier classical literature when I could pick up a really kind of cheesy book and still find a lot of joy in it and be giggling as I read it or listening to it or whatever it is. Romance has a lot of really great parts to it that aren't just naked men on the cover. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Some of those books with naked men on the cover actually might be decent. And, you know, the author doesn't necessarily have a say on what goes on the cover. (laughs) If it thinks about Hot and Badgered, uh, (laughs) it is a... (laughs) If you you haven't looked up the cover, make sure you're not on uh, school or work Wi-Fi. But highly recommend it from a set of friends who all read it together because of the title um i live in wisconsin and we are the badgers and so hot and badgered was uh, like a weird theme book of romance and it has a very fun photo on the front but some of those it was actually good content yeah, I. That, <laughs> Man, that, look at this guy's. Look at this guy's arms. Oof. <laughs> Oof. I'm getting a little hot and battered over here. And I think, <laughs> I think that is true for um, some of these other ones, other subgenres like paranormal romance. Paranormal romance is definitely. I think people think of. Um, well, like, uh, you know, urban fantasy, vampires, werewolves, which I clearly I read this. Clearly, clearly I've read this. But um, it's it's one that actually has really good writing. It's one of those where um, in paranormal romance, and I, I'm sure the other ones have this too, but paranormal romance, you get the people who these were their passion projects. And that is evident in how they've written their characters, how the writing style is. So it might have a really weird cover, but you actually start to read it. And interestingly enough, also, Paranormal Romance, um, as long as you're, it's not also an erotic. Okay, this is a erotic. Um, does not actually often have all that many sex scenes to it. Uh, it usually ends up being more about a lot of times, you know, that internal uh, fight with yourself or, you know, nature versus nurture kind of thing. Um, 
and I'm looking at the other ones. Same with well, you know, fantasy romance. Any of those. I once read a sex scene between a werewolf and a ghost. And there was a lot of hair. And there was a lot of ectoplasm. What were you reading? But I considered it to be pretty essential to the plot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm speechless. I'm joking. Okay, I was going to say, I'm a little concerned for whatever reason. I didn't mean to derail you. <laughs> well, the, the, the other sub, sub-genre that Joe put together here that I actually absolutely love are time travel romances. Susanna, Susanna Kersley, you guys, all of her books, almost all of them have either time travel or some type of fantasy. It's not urban fantasy. It's it's just a hint of like folklore, a lot of times like Irish folklore or yeah, time travel or Russian folklore. And um, it's just the fairest hint. And it is so seamless that if you do not like fantasy at all, you will probably still really like this book because all it is is it's just a plot device that is used very well um, to tell Question. stories. Question, isn't anything in a book a plot device because it's part of the plot? <laughs> The Smart accuracy, Alec. yes. <laughs> However, you can you can remove like it only affects it to the point of being able to tell the story, um, which is to say that uh, it's either how the two meet or whatever. But other than like the fact that she can time travel, she time traveled like twice and they don't know why. There's nothing else there. Like she can't control the weather. She can't control time. Like it's out of their control. And it's not something that is inherent to their character. Like, it's not a um, facet of the character's personality. Like with paranormal romance, I'm just a werewolf. It doesn't affect anything. I totally don't have, you know, like, you know, anger control issues or hair places. I don't want hair or whatever. Or the classic Mm. vampire. I want to drink your blood, but I love you. But I want to drink your blood. Like. <laughs> I'm just going to be real honest as somebody who doesn't read werewolf and vampire lit all of my reference points are from Twilight oh, and the last no. time I read that I was 13 uh, I, so this is a great imagery right now it is I, so, all I so Joe, I, there is only one series that I will recommend like one the first book which is that Mercy Thompson series by Patricia Briggs just go read the first book, and I think that will give you a much better idea of urban fantasy. So, again, I'm just imagining your accent with Edward Cullen. I'm like, this is it. This is all <laughs> fantasy romance. This all definitely makes a lot of sense. You know what? Now that you mention it, he was supposed to be from Spain, and I never heard him no. speak Spanish Edward, or in a Spanish no, accent. He wasn't so, he was supposed to be from Boston and he was supposed to die in the Spanish influenza. The fact that I still remember this and I haven't read this for over ten years, you guys. I'm glad that you could correct me. <laughs> I didn't hear him you know speaking what? in a Boston accent either. <laughs> hey, 
I can't see it. Isn't, isn't Boston still around when Twilight was written? <laughs> I would argue that Boston is actively still around. <laughs> hey, Bella. Hey, come here. <laughs> Get in my car. <laughs> We're going to go play some baseball. Looking at you causes me physical pain because I love you. You hear me, doll? I love you. <laughs> <laughs> this is so like a weird potential. Okay. I, the, the last genre that we need to hit on is special to my heart, and it is called Chicklet. Chicklet is Please Bridget Jones' diary. Real fast. Just, just Chicklet. <laughs> chicklet, chicklet, chicklet. Um, it is exactly what you feel a little bit guilty bringing on the airplane, but you definitely can because sure you're reading the third one in Bridget Jones' diary series, and nobody actually knew there was one past the first one. But <laughs> there's a lot more to her life, and, and it's about like working women who are struggling to like find their place in the world. And maybe there's romance, and maybe they're struggling to find romance, and maybe that romance is Colin Firth, and we don't know. But it's also like <laughs> the Shopaholic series, Double Wears Prada, like things like that. That it's like really focused around like a female, usually career driven lead, as opposed to somebody who is either um, like maybe already in a relationship with someone or meeting that like high school sweetheart again. It's it's a great, great genre, I have, um, but it is very specific to a certain type of want to read. I have an inconvenient truth for you, Joe. Are you ready for this? Do you, do you realize that most of the classic genre actually falls under t- the chiclet umbrella? Take Jane Eyre. I'll take it. Take look at Jane Eyre. She wasn't looking for love. She was she, focused on getting a job and doing that job was well. Was a strong, independent woman. Yes, she was. Um, <laughs> I think, but really though, I think that Chicklet, even though it's kind of the one that I look at Chicklet, it is it is the um, rom com of the romance. Yes, like it is rom com. But yeah. if you if you look at the traditional and if you take the traditional novels and write them today. They, they might get, you know, put into chiclet a lot of the times because they generally were maybe not about a single mother, but they were about a single woman or her and her children, um, you know, working their way through society and what back then was their equivalent at the time and their, you know, societal places equivalent of working a serious job. Like... It's weird to think about. It's an inconvenient truth, but I think they might. You know, it's really inconvenient. Yes, what is inconvenient, Rob? All right, you ladies tell me, because I'm just a guy. I don't know. But I wonder if it isn't a tad bit, hmm, maybe reductive is the word, to frame like a really business-minded or maybe independent or career-driven woman as needing sort of more levity brought into her life, typically through the vehicle of some man who she might be interested in. Well, will inevitably be interested in. 
that strikes me as being a little bit funny. You know, romance. Because I think I don't think Chicklet is, you know, limited. To My thought process is primarily around Bridget Jones' diary, which, when we're looking at that, she acknowledges that she wants to be in a relationship, but like also gives a like makes a lot of fun about what they call the smug married. Like, anybody who's actually married. So, the idea of romance is almost more elusive than, like, the implementation of romance into her life. And I think there are a lot of books that are flawed in that way. If it's just, like, if only my life was perfect with a cute boy. Um, and that that frustrates me because you have that powerful job, Katie. Like, why are you trying to get more than that? You had him for a couple weeks. It doesn't need to fly back from New York. I just finished my not so perfect life yesterday, and I have a lot of big feelings about that. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think there's some flaws in there, and that's why I, the a lot of the books that are coming out nowadays, hopefully, I think show a bigger picture than that. I think like Beach Read came out recently, and that I think paints a better picture of I'm just wanting to be a successful author, but I mean, if I get a boy out of it, I'm not going to be mad. Which is how we should all approach life. Like, if I get a boy out of it, like, I'm not going to be mad. But I also... Sounds like you've career. been watching Jane the Virgin. Jane the Virgin is the best romance show. <laughs> oh, my God. Straight out of a telenovela, right? <laughs> I think the other, like, side to that coin, too, is that um, part of the reason why Chicklet is a thing is that I think a lot of women do feel like it. like it it fits what they do feel like it's not i i think to read chiclet and read it as oh you know it they clearly want more than this or, or whatever um i think it's more that it, it's kind of a reassuring thing of hey you're not the only one who who wants the things like and it's hard it's hard bud it's hard um so, Rob, any closing remarks? Yes. I would like to say that, one, I didn't necessarily think about romances being in all these different sorts of genres before. Uh, maybe we'll call them subgenres. I would say some of them are the, straight up their own genre. Um, I think what's really interesting romance is the fact that it is one of those kinds of universally applicable things. Because I think when you think a lot about genre, what most people, you know, never mind the actual definition of it, I think what most people think about is what is the story about? Like, what does it focus on? What's, what's at the forefront? And we expect a lot of other things, you know, to be alongside that, but Whatever is at the forefront is what the genre is. And I think genre, or excuse me, I think romance is such a such a like essential and and worthwhile part of human life that it can look like anything. It it'll pop up in almost any story, uh, even if it's contrived or it's you know. And then they got together kind of endings. 
I think what's really great about the romance genre in particular, as opposed to romances that you would see in, say, like fantasy or sci-fi or, you know, what have you, what's really great about the romance genre in particular is that it allows you, as the author and as a reader, to focus on what really, like, makes a person human, I think. Because you have to have conflict in every story. Otherwise, it's not really a story. It's just a recollection of events. And when you have romance being at the forefront, what you have to analyze and, and demonstrate is two people who have <clears throat> some sort of barrier or some sort of obstacle needing to overpower that obstacle and work together to get together. And I think that that is probably more than anything else what a lot of people want out of life, you know. Dream about all the spaceships and all the magic swords that you want, but at the end of the day, you can probably only really hope to find, like, a worthwhile partner. You know, Aragon finds his Arwen. Uh, Luke finds his... Uh, shoot, what was her name? No, Something no, or other. Nope, she no. was a redhead. Mara Jade. You know, it's 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 kind of just like, in my mind, one of the more grounded genres because it's explicitly about things that are real. Whatever else you want to throw in about it, what's at the forefront is how people feel, how people communicate. And really, that's what art is about entirely. And I guess that's where you get a lot of this sort of idea back in the day that to be an artist was an inherently sort of romantic um, um, pursuit. Yeah, I guess that's about what I have to say. Sam, what are your final thoughts? Uh, don't be afraid to read romance. Don't be intimidated. I think romance has some of the best stories out there. And as Rob said, there it it's it's a a lot of them are might be over the top, but a lot of them are also very realistic. And I think it talks about something that uh, a lot of people want in life. And uh, it, the other thing too with romance, there are so many books out there. And there's no time to read bad books, but there's a lot of romances. You might, you'll probably be able to find one that you like. And I think it's worth giving romance a shot. I think it has a little bit too much stigmatism that maybe prevents people or makes people feel embarrassed about reading it. I'm not saying teenagers or, you know, little ones. Thing. Don't read anything, little ones. You're not prepared. But it's, it's, it's a good time. It's fun. They're fun. They're lovely. Uh, and sometimes maybe uh, they can help you kind of explore things that you didn't think you didn't think about, such as I, I, I really enjoy the books that look at love and loss. And I think that sometimes that could be the only way that you've experienced that yet in life or it could help you get through a very difficult time. So books are great. Romances are sweet. Uh, if you're reading a bad one, it's okay to stop. It's okay. But there's, there's some good ones out there. 
What about you, Joe? The biggest thing is, again, give it a chance. Romance, like, love conquers all. And romance is just a really beautiful way to see social dynamics between characters. And it can often cut out a lot of the fluff around fantasy or mystery. The, the plot and the world building doesn't necessarily need to be there. It can be in modern day. It can make me feel like it's something that could happen to me or my sister or my friends or my cousins or whoever. And the connection that I feel to characters in romances are often usually much closer than I feel in other genres. But thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed us talking about romance and what that looks like. Join us again in two weeks. <laughs> We're actually going to be um, talking about a retelling of Jane. We talked a little bit about that last week, but we read Jane Eyre two weeks ago. Listen to that podcast. Catch up on the latest and greatest. Uh, but we'll be reading Jane by April Lindner, which is a YA retelling of um, Jane Eyre. I am really personally looking forward to it because my approach to Jane Eyre and romance in general is all the people that are in there need to at least be a little hot and they always need to kiss a lot. So I'm really looking forward to it because the what used to be the creepy old guy in Jane Eyre is supposed to be a bit of a wash up rock star and most rock stars are cute. So I'm really excited. But until then, subscribe, drop us a like, and send us any comments to athenumpodcastlit at gmail.com. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.